We're looking at John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, and God speaks these words to us. He works by his spirit through his word. So let's ask him to be at work in us as we hear his word preached. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to hear what you say. Heavenly Father, we need your help and enabling that we would trust you, the God who speaks. Uh, Please do uh, soften our hearts, uh, our thoughts, our conscience, our will, our passions uh, as we hear your word. In the Lord Jesus, amen. Imagine you're deep in debt. You've made bad spending choices, you've racked up debt, You've racked up debts you could never, ever hope to repay. Of course, you'd rather not think about it. Uh, You don't actually need to think about it yet because you can still borrow more money. Uh, So you carry on borrowing more, and you carry on with those bad spending choices, and you keep getting deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. You'd rather not think about it. But eventually, you'll need to pay. And you will never, ever be able to pay. You'd rather not think about it, so don't think about it. Let's think about this instead. Uh, We finished off last week uh, in verse 14, where Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up, must be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There was a time in history when God's judgment was sweeping through rebellious Israel. Instead of thanking God for his kindness, they accused him of being against them. God's just judgment was to send serpents to deliver death. God's kind provision was to tell Moses to lift up a bronze serpent so that every rebellious person who looked at it, would live. Just like what God did then, the Son of Man must be lifted up to die on the cross, then raised and lifted up to God's right hand in heaven, so that every rebellious person who believes in him may have eternal life. Why? Why does God not just judge everyone? Verse 16 explains why. Because of God's global love. Because of God's love for every person everywhere. Because of God's grief at the thought of judging them. Because of God's desire to do them good. It's remarkable to think that God knows every one of his creatures. He knows every person in every nation. Hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of people. It's amazing that God loves every person everywhere. But the remarkable thing about God's love is not that he loves a big world, but that he loves a bad world. It's astonishing that God loves any of us. Imagine Ted and Sally walking along the beach. It's Friday evening. The weather is perfect. 
The sun is beginning to set behind the trees to the west, and the entire sky is filled with oranges and reds. And they stop to enjoy the moments, and Ted turns to Sally and says, I love you. I really do. What does he mean? Our instinct is he means something like, I think you're wonderful. I love to be near you. There's no place I'd rather be than with you. I want to share my life with you. I would do anything for you. You're beautiful to me. And it's not just how you look, it's who you are. I love you. Isn't that what he means? That doesn't mean, Sally, when I see your face, I wince. Your breath and your body odor make my eyes water. I've met people who are more horrible to others, but not many. But I love you anyway. He doesn't mean that. When God says, I love you, what does he mean? Does he mean, I find you so adorable, I can't bear being without you? I love to be near you. You're lovely to me. I can't bear being without you. Is that what he means? You've probably heard someone say something like that. As if God loves you, as if God saying he loves you tells you how beautiful you are outside and inside. But is God saying he loves you so you can know you are incredibly important? Is he saying he loves you so you can love yourself? Oh, no. Morally speaking, we have faces that make him wince and breath and body odor that make his eyes water. Verse 19, he sees the world as people who do evil. Verse 20, as people who do wicked things. Because that's who we are. And his attitude to evil and wickedness, which does damage to others and dishonor to him, is not neutral. That's why these verses mention perishing and condemnation and judgment. Uh, verse 16, sorry, verse 36 connects those to the wrath of God. Wrath is anger. God is consistent about this in the Bible. Our rebellion makes him angry. The damage others do to you makes God angry. The damage you do to others draws his anger. The dishonor we do to him draws his anger. We are a bad world. That is the world God loves. We are the world God loves. The astonishing thing is not that God loves a big world, but that God loves a bad world. Despite his wrath, he loves us anyway. His love for us doesn't tell us what sort of people we are. It tells us what sort of person he is. He is the God who loves a bad world. Now, we mustn't launch off from hearing about his love to think up our own implications. Uh, some people say God's global love for a bad world means the good news is that God saved the whole world and you can do nothing about it. No one can do anything about it. Everyone will be saved whether they like it or not. Now, that's not the gospel. Verse 18, the saved people are 
whoever believes. And whoever does not believe is condemned. Because love offers a full rescue, a complete salvation to everyone everywhere, but only those who believe in his only son are saved. God's global love does not mean everyone will be saved whether they want to or not. We must not make these verses say something they do not say. And we must not make them say less than what they say. God loves a bad world. He invites everyone everywhere to turn in trust and have eternal life. Whoever believes in his only son includes you and me. No one is beyond whoever. Whatever their past, whatever your past, you will never meet a person who God will not save if they put their trust in Christ Jesus. You will never meet a person who God will not save if they put their trust in Christ Jesus. The Father's love for a bad world invites every person to trust his Son. The Father's love opens the invitation to everyone everywhere. Some of us will be surprised to hear how bad God says we are. Some of us have some idea of how bad we are and find it hard to imagine that God could love us. God loves a bad world, including you. There is no moment when God is reluctant to receive you. You glimpse how not reluctant he is when you see who he gave to save you. He gave his only son. Uh, Read John's gospel and you'll keep hearing about the love between the father and the son. Uh, One place is just down in chapter 3 verse 35. The father loves the son. Uh, Back in chapter 1 at the beginning, uh, we, we met the son as the word who was with God in the beginning. Before anything was made. Way back there, stretching back into endless eternity past. The father has always loved the Son. And their love is the love of mutual delight and mutual perfection. They are lovely to each other. And yet, despite the unimaginable length of the love, the indescribable depth of the Father's love for the Son, God loved a bad world. God so loved a bad world that he gave his only Son gave him to suffer, gave him to be lifted up on the cross, gave him to die our death. There is no moment when God is reluctant to receive you. He gave his son so he can and he will receive you if you come to him trusting Jesus. He gave his son so he can and will receive you if you come to him because of Christ's saving death. These verses show us how God's global love drives Christ's saving death. Apart from God's love, uh, there would be only one future for all people. 
perishing, condemnation, judgment. God could have sent his son to condemn the world because we deserve it. If Jesus had only come to tell us what's good and show us what's good, the only outcome would have been clearer condemnation. Jesus' good teaching shows us we haven't been good. Jesus' good example shows us how not good we've been. I'm not sure if any of you have um, are giving anything up for Lent. Um, you know the best thing to give up for Lent? Sin is the best thing to give up for Lent. 40 days without sin, that would be pretty good. That would be a great run. Then again, 40 hours without sin would be a great run. Jesus explained what's actually good. He summarized uh, it in two great commandments. They're in the other Gospels. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if any of us thought we were still going strong 40 hours from now, it could only be because we've lowered the standard. I could maybe make it through playing 40 hours of smash and switch. Uh, If there's an easy enough setting, uh, or is playing an inexperienced enough player, I reckon 40 hours of wins is something I could do. 40 hours later, I might think, hey, I'm pretty good at Smash. But 40 hours against Dylan or against my son Sam, that would be reveal how truly terrible I am. Bring in a professional Smash player, and actually, it's just even more humiliating. They'd show me up. Jesus telling us exactly what is truly good and then living exactly what is truly good, does show us up. If that was all he did, all he would do is show us up. And verse 17, God did not send him to show us up or to condemn us. Good teaching, good example alone would have left us no better off than we were before still perishing as punishment sent by God, still condemned, waiting for the day punishment falls. The day would be completely and everlastingly banished from the presence of a God of love and dwell instead in the presence of a God of wrath. Cut off forever from life and light and love. God did not send. He did not need to give his only son to make that our future because it's what we already deserved. But because of his global love for a bad world, he gave his son. God gave him, verse 17, in order that the world might be saved through him. Hi. How is the world saved through him? Well, it's through Christ's saving death. Christ saves us by being lifted up on the cross. Christ's death saves. Now, we touched on this last week in verse 14. The the Old Testament prophet Daniel had spoken about uh, a glorious son of man. And the most natural way to hear that the glorious son of man will be lifted up is to think he'll be lifted up and exalted to God's right hand. But in chapter 12, 
when Jesus says he will draw all people to himself when he is lifted up from the earth. He is speaking about his death. Jesus saves us by being lifted up on the cross. He saves us by perishing for us, being condemned for us, being judged as if he did what we have done. His death saves because he took our guilt and shame. He allowed the sin that would cause us to be punished to be assigned to him. He paid our penalty. He died as our substitute and representative. And because he has paid, we need not pay. Because he has freed us, God has promised pardon. Because he died and is raised, he can give us eternal life. Eternal life, which is everlasting life, stretching out into the eternal future. But not just long life, life that belongs to the age to come. Resurrection life. A life which begins in this life with the knowledge that we are forgiven and the assurance that we are God's people, that we will dwell eternally with our Savior and His Father who loved us and gave His only Son for us. And it is ours if if we believe in him. These verses say lots about our personal response. It's in there, verse 16, whoever believes, verse 18, whoever believes, whoever does not believe. Verse 19, people love darkness. Verse 20, everyone who does wicked things. Verse 21, whoever does what is true. God's global love and Christ's saving death do not mean everyone will be saved whether they want to or not. God's global love and Christ's saving death do mean that whoever believes in God's only Son will not perish and has eternal life. And whoever does not believe is condemned already. The Bible doesn't encourage us to ask, can God really love me, or did Jesus really die for me, as if uh, he loves others but not us, or Jesus opened the way for others but not us. The Bible is very clear. These verses are very clear. If you are condemned on the day of judgment, it will not be because God did not love you. If you are condemned on the day of judgment, it will be because you did not believe in Christ Jesus. Now, some people say they would believe if there was enough evidence. Now, it is important to explore and assess and understand the evidence. But it's important for your own thinking and it's important for talking with friends not to miss what Jesus says in verses 19 and 20. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. What's Jesus getting at? He's saying we're biased. Humans prefer darkness to light because stepping into the light means being seen. And we don't want to be seen. We don't want to see ourselves. 
Jesus' teaching and his example and his death shine a light on us and they, they show us up. They show us what was already true before he came. That beneath a thin or thick layer of kindness and generosity and gentleness and concerning good behavior, there are ugly hearts. There's an ugly heart which compromises the safety and security of others for the sake of our own, which protects our own comfort and convenience, though others pay with theirs, that preserves our pleasure and prestige regardless of what happens to others. Jesus shows us ourselves And our instinct is to turn away. We don't want to see. It's madness. It's it's like it's like an ancient Israelite being bitten by a snake in the desert, feeling death in their veins, but preferring not to think about it, avoiding any thought about that snake and and that it's been bitten, or about the snake on the pole uh, that that would would mean they could live, but they just rather not think about the fact that they they have been bitten. Knowing Jesus allows us to think we're good and we'll live when we're not and we won't. It allows us to live as if we are our own best guides, as if our choices are working out well for the planet we live on, for the people we live with, for our own personal thriving. If we stepped into the light of Jesus, teaching life and death, the truth would be obvious. But our instinct is to avoid it. Now, ironically, ironically, one of the wonderful things about looking to Jesus is that we come into the light and what we've done, our motives, our intentions are seen, but they're seen from safety. That we have no need to hide our history or to hold on to some self-deceived self-esteem which imagines that we're basically and fundamentally good people. We have no need to hide because we can know the truth about ourselves and it can feel safe to see the depth of our darkness because we know God loves us. And we know God gave his only son. So that if we believe in him, we are not condemned. And we do have eternal life. See, trusting Jesus changes the way we see our sin. We see it with greater understanding of how deeply we've damaged others and dishonored our maker. And we see it as something we've been forgiven for. We see Jesus and our Father as the ones who loved us while we were still sinners. We see them as worthy of our daily devotion. See, this doesn't at all mean that Christ's people are people who think they are better than others. Not at all. Look, verse 21. Here in this, the difference between uh, why Christ's people step into the light compared to why others avoid it. The lovers of darkness avoid the light so they won't be seen and shamed and convicted. The lover of the light isn't stepping into the light uh, with pride and confidence in themselves and say, hey, look at me. No, they come into the light, verse 21, so that it may be clearly seen that their works have been carried out in God. 
See, we stand in the light and it's obvious we are not better. We deserve judgments, but we stand forgiven in the light. Forgiven through the saving death of Christ. We stand obeying the true word which Jesus speaks. We stand so that we can see and others can see that everything we now do has been carried out in God. Strange little phrase, carried out in God. But I think if you think about what we read last week and what we're looking at today, I think you get the idea. We stand in the light so that we can see and others can see that everything we do is possible and done because of God. He gives life. He gives new birth. He cleans with metaphorical water so that uh, we, we don't do uncleanness and follow idols. He gives a new heart and a new spirit. He enables us to turn from um, stony-hearted rebellion to fleshy-hearted obedience. He puts his own spirit in us so that more and more we desire and do obedience. Stand in the light so that his work for us and his work in us can be seen if, if we believe in his only son. So this passage is very clearly about our personal response to God's global love and Christ's saving death. It has implications for our global love. I won't spend long on this, um, but it's important to mention uh, because God's global love and Christ's saving death changes the way we see the world. It is a world of people God so loved that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish and will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world and he sends his people. His son sends his people. Glance at verse 17 while I read a couple of other verses. In chapter 17, the son prays to his father, says, As you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus says to his people in chapter 20, As the father sent me, even so I am sending you. God loves the people we live among. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He has pleasure when the wicked turn away. Look to the son. And live. We are sent to proclaim the good news of God's global love and Christ's saving death to men, women, and children who God loves. These verses warn us uh, that not everyone will be glad to hear the news. Uh, Some will hate the light and love the darkness. And if we hear the warning, it will protect us from despair and discouragement when we speak and the gospel is rejected. But these verses also reassure us God's purpose is to save the world. The day will come when an uncountable number of men, women, and children from every nation and tribe and people and language will gather before the throne of God and of the Son he gave and give praise to their Redeemer. While we wait, we can expect God to save more and more men, women, and children. And so we love the world by prayerfully proclaiming God's global love and Christ's saving death. 
What makes the difference between hell and heaven? God's global love. Christ's saving death. Yes, absolutely. There was one future for everyone. Now there are two futures. Everyone will experience one or the other. What makes the difference between hell and heaven for me and for you and for the people we live among, whether they turn in trust to Jesus. Imagine you're in deep debt. Uh, You've made bad spending choices. You've racked up a debt uh, you could never hope to repay. You'd rather not think about it. You don't need to think about it yet because you can still borrow more. So you carry on with those bad spending choices and keep getting deeper and deeper in debt. You'd rather not think about it, but eventually you will need to pay and you will never, ever be able to pay. Imagine you receive an email from a real person who is really rich and has helped you out in all sorts of ways along the way. You know him, he's a real person, he's not a scam. Imagine the email tells you he's put $10 million in the bank for you. He says it's there. It is there. It's in an actual bank. And all you have to do is click the link and the bank will clear your debts and pay your future. What happens if you never read the email? What happens if your friends who are in the same debt and have had their debts paid and their future paid for don't tell you they got the email and you should look for yours. What if you read it and you feel the stress building as you think about all those debts and you move on to something else because you'd rather not think about it. It's just so stressful. Well, then the money's still there in the bank and it's no good to you. It will do you no good. But if you trust the giver, if you click the link, your debts are paid and your future provided for. These verses show us God's global love and Christ's saving death. They highlight our personal responsibility to turn and trust God's only son. They reassure us that God will gladly receive whoever comes. And they send us to proclaim his love and Christ's death to a world that is dying without him. Let's pray. Father, we do praise and thank you that in your boundless love you give your only son whom you love You gave him to go to his death to die as we deserve to bring forgiveness. Father, please do grip us with these realities about ourselves before you as the God who loves us, about those we live among as those whom you love. Father, we ask that we would keep holding on to your glorious promise that whoever believes in your Son will not perish but has eternal life. Father, please do grow the same love in us. 
that towards one another, that towards those we live among, that towards the world, we'd be eager to see your gospel shared, that we'd be prayerful sharers of the good news of your global love and Christ's saving death and calling men, women, and children to turn and look in trust to Jesus who is lifted up, having died our death, raised to live and rule at your right hand in glory. And Father, as we proclaim him, please do draw more and more people to yourself. In the Lord Jesus, amen.